Hello and welcome to the Chris Knott podcast. Uh, today is number episode, what is it, 911? 911, no, it's 191, sorry. Uh, got that completely wrong. So yeah, 191. Today we're going to be talking about shoulder stability and rethinking shoulder exercises for your clients, shoulder health and so forth. Um, just reason being, I've had a few uh, shouldery clients come in um, for soft tissue treatment and uh, want to run through some of the things that um, I do with them, some of the things that they screen and then give an idea um, of how it impacts training and so forth. So these are the um, kind of things you can do as a coach. Everything at the moment is on the podcast geared towards um, personal trainers, so what they can do with the clients. However, it is useful for therapists as well because it's like that meet in the middle, like what's a decent exercise. Um, so let's get stuck into it. So you have shoulders are a really funny one because the they rely on quite a few joints. So if we go into anatomy, we've got the scapular thoracic joint, which is basically uh, the scapula or shoulder blade and how it interacts with the thoracic. Uh, we've got the glenohumeral joint, and we've got the AC joint, and we've got the sternoclavicular joint. Um, so basically, the, uh, how the sternum inter- uh, interacts with the clavicle. And that's a really funky one, actually, which I'll get to last. But I'm going to go through each one of these joints um, and then think about how that impacts either you know the mobility and and the training and the exercises that you do. So starting off with the scapulothoracic one, um, this is a really uh, like I'd say non uh, non shoulder specific uh, area to be looking at. So what I mean by that is that as soon as we look at spinal mechanics, the spine is like a it's like when we twist it and torsion it in different directions, it's like a spring and a recoil. So imagine when you twist it at the bottom to the right and the top to the left, it gets some elasticity and that's so it can spring the opposite direction where it goes bottom to left, top to the right and so forth. And it's like this coil that goes from back uh, from one side to the other. And this is that, that tensegrity model. And the scapulothoracic joint is, is hugely governed by... Um, the feet mechanics and the pelvis so basically your deep hip internal rota- um, your, your deep hip rotators and also your foot uh, mechanics as well so your uh, deep feet stabilizers so if you if you notice that somebody has um, poor scapular thoracic rhythm or they don't and the scapula doesn't move very well this is um this is when you'd want to look at those factors before going the sh- right into the shoulder itself so you know, let's do a classic example of somebody has shoulder issues. You just think, right, I'll give them some like, you know, external rotation, some band stuff, some, um, you know, some lateral raises and some just just all the kind of typical shoulder stuff that you'll see. Um, but the, the goal is that how do we decipher what's the actual issue? Because if we specify the issue or we can identify it, then our intervention is going to be more specific. Um, but the thing is, is that there's no difference really in screening someone for an injury and trying to help them with that factor and screening someone to do an exercise. Because essentially, what do we need? Well, we need freedom and range of motion through the scapula or through the, sorry, through the shoulder joint itself. So it can, um, so it can be out of the pain and there's no impingement. And when we're doing any form of pressing or rowing, we need the shoulder to be able to, or the, the, the glenohumeral joint, uh, the glenoid, um, sorry, the humeral head and the glenoid to be able to glide properly so that, um, you know, we can we can do the exercises through all the ranges that we require. So there's not really a great difference. And, and that's one thing that I really want to emphasize with, uh, you know, with uh, therapists and PTs, because um, if we understand this, then it helps us on both, rate, um, both ends of the scale. So scapulothoracic joint, 
obviously because it's uh, interacting with the thorax or thoracic spine um, the thoracic spine is going to interact with the cervical or the cervical whichever one you want to call it um, the upper neck shall we say um, and the lumbar spine so we've got above and below so you need to know what's going on in the neck and you need to know what's going on with the <coughs> uh, with the um, lumbar spine so the the first thing is just go really simple and I, I mean simple 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 just can someone move the th uh, move their um, scapula so if you go on the YouTube channel APX YouTube you'll see shoulder figure of eights that one went out um, went out pretty recently it's the 6th of April today and that one went out a couple of days ago to see how well do they move the scapula can they move it forwards can they rotate it backwards can they go up and down is it a little bit sticky then you can put them in different positions, so left foot forward, right foot back, so forth, just, you know, an alternate in the stance, just put them in different ranges of motion and get them to test the scapula. And you're, you're looking for speed, you're looking for fluidity and movement, you're looking, do they speed up, do they get stuck, um, when do they slow down, what can't they achieve? And that's your first point of call. Because if you've got a stuck scapula, you're going to get accommodation. So basically, you're going to have this, this, the shoulder's going to have to find a way of achieving range of motion because um, it can't move. And this is when people say, oh, I've got clicky shoulders or all these clicking and popping. And that's because it's having to find an alternative way of getting, of pointing in a specific direction due to the fact that the, um, the scapula doesn't move properly. So you want to be looking at the way the scapula protracts and the way it retracts and goes and depresses and the retraction and protraction of the shoulder is massively governed by hip stability and hip extension so if we for it to protract we need um an ipsilateral propulsion force through the hips so basically for our right scapula to be able to protract we need to be able to properly push off our right foot and the other way around if we for our right um uh, for our right foot to uh, for our scapula to go in the opposite direction to retract we need the ability to properly push off the opposing leg um, so be able to push off the um, uh, so the the opposite side so in other words gait mechanics and, and moving mechanics foot mechanics is, is really important for the scapula and thoracic so whenever somebody gets stuck yes you need to articulate 100% them articulate just basically moves move get them using the, the, the um, get them moving the scapula quite often um, and then what you then do is then you have to chase the entire system so this is where functional stuff people on their feet rotating the rib cage making sure they're using the, the lateral glutes so it can be abductors glute mean glute mead tfl um, as well as um, adductors as well to stabilize it's just basically get them on the feet and finding the range that they can't do you know frontal and transverse plane movements such as like side lunges and rotations are hugely hugely useful for unlocking further up the chain so your first point of call is can the scapula thoracic rotate can it move uh, can we go forwards and backwards and so forth and um, the way you go after that so the way you'd improve it is making sure you're going after foot and pelvis mechanics if you struggle with upward and downward rotation check frontal plane mechanics which is basically pushing the hip side to side so side bending motions and um, that can be used like a weighted dumbbell can they side bend each each way in, um, with equal amount of range of motion and stability if not then the scapula is also going to be stuck so that's a um, that's a key one there Moving on from the scapula thoracic, so just to fit, sorry, just to summarise with that one, is if the scapula thoracic doesn't move, we have to accommodate in some manner. So if the scapula is stuck, then people are going to get pinching sensations, irritations. Um, it might be like bicep tendon. It might be, you know, it might be um, in the 
subacromial space it might be somewhere but they're just going to get irritation in that sense so that's your first port of call as a screening look for that address it with globally with the feet um, so then we're moving on to the next one so we go to the gh so the actual glenoid humeral joint uh, where the humerus interacts with the glenoid fossa and with that one that one is mainly about articulation so if we think about the typical desk posture um, so people are going to be in a position where the shoulders are rounded and they have an internal rotation of the of the humerus or the the upper arm bone in the socket um, and it's going to stay there and stabilize as they're as they're pronated so hands on a keyboard and typing so what you've got here is that as this happens over time um, the body is very much a use it or lose it structure uh, and it'll do sustaining factors so if someone's on a keyboard and they have like i say internal rotation pronation of the hands and um, the body will keep it there and find ways of stabilizing in that position also because it's not using external rotators or it's because it's not having to um, stabilize functionally and it's not basically moving it'll just get stuck there so you'll have the, the the joint or the joint capsule over time can get very sticky and stuck and it doesn't move very well and as a as a byproduct of this the internal rotation process becomes the dominant um, pathway for the arm. So what I mean by that is that as the arms are swinging forward, um, so as the arms are swinging forward, during, whilst they're um, anywhere between or under 30 degrees of abduction, they should be they should be steadily or biasing external rotation of the shoulder so they should be externally rotating but the problem is if your elbows are out in front of you slightly so in front of your body at a laptop and you're internally rotated and this is going to keep you in internal rotation in that position if you then move into an extension movement you've already maxed out your internal rotation so if you're doing if somebody's like that and they're doing a row so they're doing like a dumbbell row or a cable row or something and they already have this internal rotation of the humerus in the GH capsule what you get is um, you get his shoulder rotation because they've maxed out the internal rotation and they're going to really jam up the front of the um, of the GH capsule so if you've just listened to that and gone what the hell does that mean just think of it like this is that relative motion is the number one thing you, you, you want to be considering when it comes to joint health and movement and if you um if you're unsure about so that basically means is how fast are the joints moving are they moving at the same rate is one joint moving faster than the other and when you balance out relative motion you have theoretical perfect movement because you have complete joint stabilization through muscles and this seldom happens and this is why if somebody has a lack of internal rotation at a specific point of, um, of flexion extension of the shoulder they're just going to run out of space and that's joint compression and that's irritation and if there happens to be a nerve going through there which with the brachial plexus in the arm that usually is the case then you get nerve impingement then you get tingling sensations down the hand and into the palm of the hand so the way you can go about this is, and I want you to, I'm going to break this down, is that if somebody struggles with internal rotation of the hands, oh sorry, the internal rotation of the shoulder um, because of the, being a desk job and you want to really improve their pressing and, and strength and GH movement, get them to either stand up or lie on the back, it doesn't really make too much difference, and find the point where they, they start to really internally rotate as they bring their arms up. So basically, they're doing a standing flexion test with their palms facing towards each other and start to see when their, their bicep basically starts to face towards the other, other bicep. So they start internal rotation. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because you will need internal 
and rotation at some points of shoulder flexion. However, if they're doing it quite early, so they're really rotating early, place a band around the elbows. So just like you do band around the knees, get them to uh, sorry, externally rotate. So you get them to externally rotate the hands, get them to hold that external rotation position and breathe in and then do the movement. So you're going through that shoulder flexion extension. Now what this is doing is that if you move your hands in and out, so if you externally rotate as you inhale, you've also got the, um, you, you are going through a passive external rotation of the shoulder, but because you have a band there, you have stabilization through the, um, uh, through the medial and posterior deltoid, which are massive abductors. So you have abduction, external rotation happen at the same time. And what all this will do is it'll help you rescue a bit of internal rotation, so improve that relative motion, and they'll be like, oh wow, that feels really nice. So just to re reiterate, is that those banded movements that you that you see people do, um, you know, on doors and stuff that physios can give out, they're great, but we want to think about the specific point in time where someone starts to lose something. So imagine you've got your client there now they have their, their elbows bent to 90 degrees and they have a band around the wrists they're going to bring their arms forward gently push their wrists into the band while keeping their elbows in they're going to breathe in and they're going to hold that position now if you see their shoulders shaking or you see their scapula elevating they start to use other traps that's a sign of weakness which they need to then um, you need to then change the intensity exercise to f make it suit them and build endurance because shoulder stabilizers and, and deep uh, hip stabilizers need endurance and not necessarily power unless there's a very specific task in hand so once you've done this you want to match it with the inhalation that'll get some expansion into the joint which is what it again it will require as a byproduct we'll see a friendlier we'll see a little bit of decompression in the gh capsule that gh capsule then needs articulating which is just something as simple as a um, as a windmill so basically um, not a catabolic windmill with a weight you don't want to compress you just want them to move this capsule get them moving and move that in every single direction so if you're moving that in every single direction and you're getting some synovial fluid going, find where they find it sticky. And when somebody finds a point and shoulder movement in the GH capsule, which they find um, sticky, then you, have to, um, then you have to really make sure that they learn how to stabilize there. So just keep them there. Literally just keep their arm in that position um, and get them to move the arm around so they're learning how to recruit those muscles and keep them there. And you'd be amazed that we, you know, we get people to do very heavy lateral raises. We get them to do all these shoulder exercises. Do you know how hard it is just to put your arm out to the side and hold it there? and do small circles you know it, i've got them on the, it's, it's on youtube it's a shoulder stabilizer uh, warm-up just that type of thing can be very very useful for getting into the proximal fibers of lots of the shoulder stabilizers you know supraspinatus infraspinatus just play around with pronation <clears throat> and supination of the hand and hold your arms out to the side so moving on from the GH capsule, because we know that one requires um, recapturing relative motion in internal external rotation, and it also requires some articulation. The AC joint is important because it's a very, very ligamentous structure, but this is the one where you'd consider someone's actual biomechanics. So what I mean by that is that you're going to be looking at the inclination of the acromion because the acromion is going to it can have different uh, directions which is going to impact somebody's ability to get into shoulder abduction and flexion um, without um, without it actually hitting a bony restriction and impingement so this is the genetic one and what you'll find with this is that some people will be able to accommodate with more upward rotation of the scapula or change in position but this is where a simple test where you take them into shoulder flexion you bring their arm up and if you get them to exhale as they bring their arm up if they hit a point 
where it feels jammed. So imagine this, you have your arms out in front of you, you're gonna go into a pronated position, you raise your arms out in front, you get the person to go as far as they can without bending through the lumbar spine, so without compensating through the lumbar spine, and then making sure that they're gently bringing the arms up. If you get them to get to a point where they start to find, um, where it starts to get stuck, if they exhale and bilaterally, so on both sides, they feel like they can't go any further without leaning back or, or, or changing or dramatically changing the position of the scapula, then we found their bony end range. And this is something you need to be aware of because if you get someone to try and do an overhead press and you're jamming in them, jamming them into a bony end range which they're unable to access, then what you'll have is, again, shoulder irritation, subacromial space irritation, bicep tendon, crocobrachialis irritation. So that's just where you, you say, right, with this person, we need to not necessarily work on shoulder mobility. I just need to think about the exercise selection. So it might be, I'm not going to get them to shoulder press that heavy. I'm going to get them to do chest press variations. I'm going to get them to do um, shoulder, uh, I'm going to do lateral raise variations. And if I do want them to shoulder press, I'm going to definitely teach them how to control extension through the thoracic so that they can access a position where they're not going to strain in the front of the socket. So basically teaching them a compensation, which is I'll help them press if they need to press, and then using that to keep it safe. So teaching them how to access the compensatory pattern of pressing, which again is something that we can do if somebody needs to do it. Because at the end of the day, don't make your client's goals, you know, don't create arbitrary goals for something that's not suited for someone. So if you've got a client coming in, there is no need for them to sh- shoulder press if the risk reward isn't there. It, you know, the, the, it's very, very unlikely that somebody, you know, general population client, clientele, if they find the movement very, very challenging, that they need to do it. Just save time, find a more suitable uh, solution or exercise, and then move on through there. So the sternoclavicular joint is not one that you'd necessarily see that much of as a personal trainer. It's not like we're going to train it, but it is a really, really important joint because it's basically the joint that attaches the whole shoulder complex to the to the thorax and the spine. Because apart from that, it's actually floating. Now, the reason why this one is actually um, quite important is because it's very, very myofascial. So there's a lot of um, kind of fascia that's uh, around that, uh, surrounding that area. And if someone, again, is very flexed, if they have very, very tight abdominals, very, very tight pectoral, so chest muscles, that joint is going to be very sticky. Sticky is definitely the word of the podcast. So if that's a sticky uh, joint and it's not moving very well, uh, basically that internal external rotation of the clavicle is going to be impaired, which again is going to impact shoulder function. And it's crazy how that uh, that joint is is so um, is so restricted on a lot of people and and tender to palpate. So if you if if you're unsure what it is, you just follow your clavicle around and you'll find it, and you'll find that it's this joint that attaches to the the um, to the sternum. And it can be very, very sore to touch. Now, it's not necessarily that you would, you know, train or do anything about it. But if somebody is really restricted through shoulder motions, then that can be a big, um, big component of it. But the clavicle and the sternum also have the sternocleidomastoid, which is a neck muscle. So if sternocleidomastoid is tight or restricted or can't move or can't rotate from side to side, and the pectorals are tight and the abdominals are tight, that mo- that joint is not going anywhere. And when that joint doesn't 
go anywhere, you get an irritated shoulder. So what you can do with this is, I think myofascial movements work very, very well as warm-ups, but get somebody's neck moving. I have two videos on YouTube. One is the manual sternum release, and the other one is, well, any type of neck rotations. Um, that is very, very useful for freeing that joint up because they can get the person to manually just work through it. And if someone is getting a lot of shoulder pain, neck pain, and irritation, just get them to do it on the days off. Just educate them about how to do it, the safety of it. You know, even if they need to send them to a doctor or a therapist just to say, you know, I'm doing these mobility drills just to get the go ahead from them. It's generally speaking is that just improving the glidability in that fascia around that joint is going to have a big effect on the on the rest of the shoulder structure because if that's locked up and it gets very, very locked up when we do a lot of chest and shoulder pressing and chest flies and lateral raises, um, it gets very, very locked up. If that's not moving, the uh, implications elsewhere are quite um, are quite substantial. Uh, adding on to that, because it's a muscle that uh, attaches to the sternum, breathing mechanics is very important. Breathing mechanics in the ribs, so the um, ribs two, three, four, thoracic spine, um, all around there, the uh, costovertebral joints around there. So respiration is also key. So learning how to inhale and expand into your upper back and the front of your chest is really important as well with that one. So to summarize with shoulder stability is that the shoulder is such a mobile joint that we need to respect it because it can enter ranges which um, you know it's, it's designed to do in a certain way um, for you know for the actions such as climbing, throwing, running, which is the evolutionary reason that the shoulder can move so well. Um, but we jam it into place in you know chest press machines and, and dumbbells and so forth without actually respecting the fact that somebody might have an issue with one of any of the four of those joints. So it becomes like a checklist list is like does that move does that move does that move and if it doesn't let's get it moving simple as that and you know it's not complicated it really isn't you could run through the 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 movements of those in less than five minutes and you're looking are they all good great let's go are they is one of them is rather really restricted right let's address that first because when you start to see uh, people you know later in life who have really really poor shoulder function i do think to myself wow imagine what had happened if they've been able to do xyz um when they were you know when they were younger and then built up the strength and stability there but also, when you see people who have injuries from training, you think, well, imagine how what would happen if their shoulders were properly screened and we appreciated what's actually required in order to, um, to achieve you know, healthy shoulder movement. So as of always, if you have any other questions uh, on anything I've said, please feel free to, you can DM me on Instagram, you can email me chris at, chris not, uh, no, chris at apxed.com. Um, and yeah, so if you have any follow-ups where like, what does, that, what does that mean? What does that mean? What exercise is good for this and that? Just let me know. I'm more than happy to uh, more than happy to answer those or just answer them in another podcast. Um, there is a load of shoulder work or shoulder stability exercises. In fact, no, it's the shoulder foundation. So everything I've just said there, the shoulder foundations will be up on the APX membership site in May. And that's just simple ways of improving shoulder function, which you can do on the gym floor and explain it in a model way. You can use it with clients and then you can have an idea of how those exercises interact, what to do before doing this, what to do after doing this and so forth. So that's that will be up in May. If you have any questions about the APX website, uh, feel free to again just let me know. Uh, just uh, drop me a message. Um, there's more. There's a video library going up. There's case studies every month. But again, about three hours of content, a new content there each month, which you will always have access for. So as long as you remember, you get access to that month's content and all the other content that's been out uh, prior to that. So there's quite a quite an extensive library building up at this moment in time. 
Um, also as well if anybody is into supplementation I'm not sponsored uh, by uh, this is not a podcast uh, that's been sponsored by it but I really want to give a shout out to Fit for Film supplement the P form um, it is a vegan protein um, which is a post-workout formula which has uh, magnesium uh, BCAAs ashwagandha and creatine all built into the post-workout formula so just say that again you have creatine ashwagandha and magnesium in the um, in the form itself it is all non plastic non-gmo packaging and um, vegan protein so if you are looking for a alternative head over fit films and make sure you check that out because it's, it's a really really good product um, and it's taken them a long time to develop it uh, both ethically and to get the best ingredients there's also p form active um, which i absolutely swear by that's an absolutely brilliant pre-workout not necessarily stimulant it's not a stimulant but it's a cognitive enhancer so it'll improve your cognition and it's also uh, contains betalanine so it is also going to improve your endurance and i can swear by that one that is a very very useful product so if you want more about that you can head over fit for films as always there is uh, new videos every week going up on youtube so if you haven't already head over to the apx youtube channel so you can um, subscribe to that and get the latest on the mobility drills and the myofascial fitness series um, and as always podcasts come in your way on a regular basis if there is a specific topic uh, that you'd like me to discuss just let me know but thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day